Sean, in our show notes, there's a file. I think it's just called audio file. I want you to click on that and listen to it. And after you're done listening to it, it's about 30 seconds long. I want you to tell me what it is and what you, what your reaction to it is. Okay, clicking now. And play. <laughs> yep. Well, it has been a long time since I heard that. <laughs> uh, how do uh, what do I think or how I feel? I feel like um, hopefully, hopefully the connection goes through, <laughs> and I'll be able to check my email. <laughs> uh, yeah, it has very much of a nostalgic feel for me. The first time I ever. I don't even know what it was. I think it was one of those AOL CDs that they sent out in the mail by the mm-hmm. millions and possibly billions back in the late nineties, early thousands. Um, right. And I probably used one of those to, you know, to get my 40 free hours of internet or whatever. <laughs> right. And pretty much anybody who grew up during the nineties, you know, most millennials would probably recognize that sound. I'm guessing a lot of the younger people probably don't remember that noise, but um, <laughs> it's it's right. one that very much takes me back to my bedroom where I'm uh, have my laptop plugged into the wall through the mm-hmm. phone line, and I'm anxiously awaiting uh, an email from perhaps some young lady that I think is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is this phone phone line of which you speak? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um also i remember that it was agonizingly slow i mean you would try to go to a web page mm-hmm. and try to load it and it would just take you know 30 seconds or more sometimes if there were some decent pictures right and i mean forget about watching video i mean <laughs> you pretty much get a video going pause it so it starts buffering and then go and <laughs> maybe eat supper exactly. or or uh split a couple cords of wood and then you come back and then you can finally <laughs> yep. watch it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back in those days it was just getting emails and the occasional web search. And of course, um, did you, did you actually use like AOL messenger? Did you use that at all? Yeah, I think so. And I was thinking, uh, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, um, I heard on a podcast, something about your original email address mm-hmm. that made me think about that. Somewhere I sub- I don't know what happens to that that stuff, but somewhere I have my original AOL message. I don't know if it was just an email address or exactly how that was anymore. And then I moved to something else, and eventually to um, Yahoo before moving to Gmail. And so okay. <laughs> there's a a thread of um, artifacts <laughs> somewhere in the world worldwide web i would expect yeah i don't know if that stuff gets erased eventually or not i don't know i'm not sure um yeah my first email address i really have not had that many email addresses i had my first email address which was a juno.com email oh yeah for whatever reason back in those days juno was a really big mm-hmm. thing you could do it for free 
And so that's what I used. And then uh, I'm trying to think when it was. It was probably the mid-thousands, like maybe 2006 to 2008, somewhere in there. I could probably go back and see what my first email was. But then I switched to Gmail, and that's what I've I've been using the same Gmail account for 15 years. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me think. Yeah, like 15 years, which is pretty pretty crazy to be doing it for that long. I've currently thought about getting rid of it and and going to another email address. That's I don't know. Uh, my email address is kind of strange, and people always ask me why is it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have had to have been after 2007 because. I based it somewhat on my college email address, which they gave to you automatically. You didn't have a choice of oh, what it was. Right. And it was just kind of some, there was like some some of my initials and then some random numbers after that. And I just based my Gmail address on that. Things have definitely changed for sure. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> so I am currently using Wi-Fi, which I don't know if it's going through fiber or if it's through coaxial cable. Um I'm not at home right now. I'm up in Guys Mills, Pennsylvania. Yeah, okay. So you are also in a different location than you normally are. Well, I I just moved my office this week from upstairs to downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, um, yeah, I am in Peru and I don't have any cables connecting me to the internet. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, no physical cables anyway connecting me to the internet. Mm-hmm. But it just magically, magically comes through the sky to to yeah. my uh, <laughs> laptop. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's quite a few people. Um, we we actually did pay the money to, to get cable internet at our house because the cell phone service is pretty bad at our place and we could barely get enough to, okay. to use our phones. But they're... I would say, I don't know, maybe close to half um, or something like that of the people that I know that use the internet, you know, not just on their phones, but, you know, for Wi-Fi, they, a lot of them just use their phones as a, as a hotspot. Um, uh-huh. I guess that's kind of what you all do, right? Yeah. And it makes me chuckle to hear you say that uh, you didn't have good enough service at your house and so you needed to get uh, cable internet because, <laughs> uh yeah, you'd have to come here to figure out what's not having good <laughs> internet services like. Yeah. No, I, I know yeah. there are spots in the States that have really slow service too. But yeah, everything here is uh, through cell phones. Well, pretty well everything here is through cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some places, I think there are a couple of places here in East Kuchaka, the nearest town, that are like um, internet cafes. I don't even know if that's still a thing in the States or not. Probably not, <laughs> but it's it's fairly common here because not everyone has internet all the time on their phones uh, simply because they don't uh, maybe want to pay for it on their phone. And so you can go in to an internet cafe and pay, you know, for half an hour or an hour of internet. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are often satellite uh, satellite internet. So you'll see. Uh, a satellite um, disc on the outside of their store. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's easier in, in cool school sometimes if we, um, there've been a few times where we've needed to use uh, internet because of needing to print something, some document uh, while we were in the city. And anyhow, it's a whole thing. But anyway, um, 
if you're walking down the street and you happen to see a satellite, you're like, ah, there's a, an internet cafe and you can go down and, and okay. uh, get your thing done there. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, depending on where you are, the standard for what is too slow or what is an acceptable speed certainly changes <laughs> because, yeah, yeah I mean, I sure. think, um, I think if we would prop our phones in one of our windows in the one side of the house, we could usually get maybe 500 like 500 kilobits per second or maybe one one megabit per second or something like just fast enough that you could almost stream video but not hardly okay um, okay so not not amazing but occasionally it would be better but yeah. it was just kind of no rhyme or reason like it would start raining and then you couldn't get any internet or yeah <laughs> things yeah. like that so anyway we actually do have a new cell tower that's supposed to be going up Oh, maybe a mile and a half away as the crow flies. And I think, I mean, it'll be coming through the trees, but it basically will be line of sight if it wouldn't be for the trees. So yeah, I know that start getting a lot better service at some point. As more people are getting the COVID vaccines, they're going to need more cell towers in order to cover the, the greater vaccinated population. I'm not going to even bite at that. <laughs> uh, yes. We have another episode that talks about such things in the other podcast. Yeah. So you were talking about Peru. They don't even have, you know, pretty much everybody uses cell phones. Mm -hmm. I was down in Belize, which would have been in 2010, I think. Okay. And down there, they, yeah, they had, they had phones. Um, I'm not sure if they had cell phones. Yeah, they did. But um, I don't think there was hardly a single person that had a telephone wire running to their house. Oh, yeah. But you had people with with dirt floored shacks mm -hmm. with cell phones. Mm -hmm. And I don't, yeah, some people would sometimes look at that and be like, oh, they, they have money for cell phones, but they don't have, you know, they don't have money to fix up their house or whatever and kind of sneer at that. And I, I don't think that's a good way to, <laughs> for various reasons, it's not good to look at it that way. Right. But it's something that's very common in developing countries. They don't, like, they don't go through the same sequence as we do here in the States. You know, we have, we started rolling out phones decades and decades ago, so we had the infrastructure there. And then in the 80s and 90s, you started having these cell phones and started putting up cell towers for wireless phones. And, of course, now that eventually turned into Internet-connected phones with uh, 3G and 4G. Mm -hmm. But for them, it doesn't really make any sense to try to lay all these copper wires. Right. In a sense, really. Right. Um, it's much easier just to throw up a couple cell phone towers here and there rather than trying to lay wires to every single house. Yeah, the way I've thought about it already is um, thinking about well, phones or internet in particular and comparing it to uh, transportation. So here in Peru, we have uh, cars, vans, trucks, but they didn't go through the whole... Um, development cycle that uh, some other countries did like we didn't have steam-powered vehicles here before we had uh, uh, other locomotives coal-powered or whatever and then mm -hmm. they go through that whole series of whatever it's just like when the country opened up to to uh, transportation automation they just picked up where the developed countries were mm -hmm. and I think it's a little bit the same way from my perspective with with phones and, and internet and communication is why bother going through all that ancient infrastructure 
just go ahead and pick up where where the modern technology is and build off of that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I totally agree. Of course, where we live in Virginia, we we're we're maybe four or five miles out from a decent sized town, but we're not that far out in the boonies. But there's a decent number of people in our area that really don't have access to any sort of internet. You know, my my brother he lives. Uh, about a mile down the road from me, and but he's in a really bad service area, and there's no, as far as I understand, mm-hmm. there's no internet going down his road. So for us, we have these these coaxial cables going down our road, and it's very simple to just plug it up. But for him, I mean, they they their cell phones hardly work, let alone their you know internet, mm-hmm. and that's just a mile down the road. And then there's people that live up in the mountains that don't really have anything, and Oftentimes, if you go to West Virginia or just places that are a bit more remote, you'll see these advertisements, these signs along the road, uh, these signs along the road for HughesNet, uh, which HughesNet is a satellite internet provider. Oh, okay. I, I'm not familiar with them, but apparently it's one of the bigger ones. So they have this, from what I understand, they have this satellite that's setting out in geostationary orbit that is which is about um, 25,000 miles away from Earth, approximately. Okay. And the orbit is is just, it's, it's right over the equator, and it's also set that the, it's set so that it orbits the Earth once in one day, exactly. So that means that if you would be able to look up during the day and see the satellite, it would stay at basically the exact same spot in the sky the whole, the whole way. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, like, I mean, it would it basically stay at the exact same spot all day long, all night long. And what's nice about that is you can just, you can just put a, put a satellite dish up on your roof and point it at that spot and you can get internet day in and day out because that satellite doesn't move. Um, so I'm assuming that's what they're using down in Peru. Yeah, I'm curious what, uh, how, what percentage of the earth then would that be able to to reach like so it it's pointing at the globe mm-hmm. but always only at one one hemisphere essentially right yeah. but those edge outer edges it wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to to quite reach either yeah so i'm not sure how far above the horizon it would have to be for it to be visible enough to where you could use it for internet but i mean it can serve i mean a, a decent amount of an entire hemisphere of the earth so you could have the exact same, hmm. which I think each each satellite has a certain number of like smaller dishes that kind of send signals down to Earth. So it can't necessarily cover everything, from what I understand. It can't cover the whole hemisphere. Yeah, um, it has to be more targeted than that. But I think theoretically, I mean, you could cover things all the way from uh, a, a good ways down through Chile, which runs down along the mm-hmm. western edge of South America, all the way up to Canada. Quite likely, and I wow. think, I, huh, yeah, I think neat. that um, I think planes. So I've never done this before, but apparently you can, if you pay a fee, you can actually get Wi-Fi on a plane, and a lot of that goes through these satellites. Uh, yeah, okay, huh? So if they if if you can manage that with just one geostationary geostationary satellite. Why is Elon Musk 
putting up like a bazillion of them. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly how many he's putting up, right about a bazillion. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I think I saw just the other day, just in the last week, it was the 40th Starlink launch. Mm-hmm. They now have put around 2,000 in orbit, I believe. Okay. Now, some of the ones they put in orbit have come out of orbit. Either they didn't, they stopped working, and so they deorbited, or I'm not totally sure, but I think they've put at least 2,000 into orbit at this point. So, in just the last couple years, one one space company, SpaceX, has put up about as many satellites as what was put up in the previous couple decades, I think. <laughs> wow. So I think there's, yeah, I'm not sure the exact number of satellites in space right now, but I think that SpaceX has come close to maybe doubling it in just a couple of years or something uh-huh. like that. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, which, speaking of satellites deorbiting, this is kind of an interesting fact. So we talked about the Kessler effect or the Kessler syndrome in a previous episode. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it was on Looking Over Life or for what it's worth with uh, the Russian anti-satellite test. And that, that whole thing about space junk is a, is a really big problem, obviously. So what SpaceX does is it puts its satellites, it launches, well, uh, the number varies, but it can launch up to 60 satellites at one time into orbit. And what it does is it puts them in a fairly low orbit. In a sense, it's almost still in the upper reaches of the atmosphere. That way, if a satellite fails for some reason, it will very quickly be overcome by the uh, the drag of the upper atmosphere and come come back into Earth and, and burn up. Mm-hmm. And right right at the time, they actually launched these into a slightly lower orbit than normal. I'm thinking it was about 200 to 250 kilometers, which is, um, I can't do the math in my head exactly, but maybe uh, 150 miles up or something like that. Okay. And right at about that time, there was a big geo geomagnetic event or uh, basically it was a solar flare some some solar activity really really happened right over that time and what happened was all this solar energy was hitting the atmosphere which caused the atmosphere to heat up and when the atmosphere heats up it kind of puffs out it uh, it gets bigger it gets denser in the upper reaches and so the engines that they have on these satellites are pretty weak they work well for long periods of time, but they're very weak engines, mm-hmm. which normally is fine. But they were low enough, and this thing happened so quickly that I think 40 out of 49 satellites re-entered the atmosphere oh, just a couple no. days later. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so about a bazillion minus 40 satellites is how many are up there now. Oh, dear. Yeah, so the reason... The satellite, like you said, you can have one big geostationary satellite that can cover the better part of the entire hemisphere of the Earth. But the issue with that is that it's, you know, to to have that specific orbit where you stay above the same point on Earth all the time, you have to be really far out. So you have to be 25,000 miles out. So just imagine this. I go on my computer here and I'm hooked up to the satellite internet. And I say, I want to go to google.com. So I type google.com in my menu bar and hit enter. And what happens is my computer sends it out to the satellite. So it travels 25,000 miles out to the satellite. The satellite gets that signal, then sends it down to a ground station, which 
you know, might be a little ways away. So that's another at least 25,000 miles. Mm -hmm. Then that request goes to Google's servers in, I don't know, they have servers all over the earth, goes to Google's servers. Then it comes back another 25,000 miles out, 25,000 miles back down. (laughs) So, Uh, wow. So, and I'm sure there's some things that would slow it down in there as well. But, you know, your signal is traveling at least 100,000 miles, Mm -hmm. which, and light is really, really, really fast. (laughs) Yeah. But it's probably going to take the better part of three quarters of a second or more for your signal to go out and come back. So that's, that's kind of an issue. That's called latency. So there's, there's two main things you need to think about with, with internet. And that is latency, which is the amount of time it takes for your request to go out and for the information to come back. And then bandwidth, which is the amount of information you can get in. You can think of bandwidth as like being the size of the hose that's giving you internet. Right. If you have a really small hose, you have very small bandwidth. So there in Peru, your bandwidth is pretty small. But somebody who's hooked up to a fiber optic cable and has download speeds of 500 megabits per second, they have a lot greater bandwidth. And so that's the downside of satellite internet is that really long latency going out and back and out and back again. Mm-hmm. Also, they're, also, they tend to be slower and more expensive. So you would have to spend 80 to $150 or more for maybe 5 to 10 megabit per second download speeds or something. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's relatively expensive. But if, but if people are out in the, in the wilds of West Virginia and they have no other option, they're just going to make do with what they have. Now, the reason why Starlink has to launch so many satellites is because their satellites are in a much lower orbit. I think they're maybe 500 kilometers. So 500 kilometers, that's approximately 50 times closer to Earth Mm -hmm. than these geostationary satellites. So what that means is if I'm hooked up to Starlink, I can get, I can send my request to Starlink satellites down to the ground station, back to the satellite, back to me, you know, um, one fiftieth of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of of so, you, so your latency is much lower, and also your bandwidth can tend to be much higher. So, um, but when you're in a much lower orbit, you can't cover near as much of a area of the Earth. If you if you climb up a silo or climb up a mountain, all of a sudden you can see much, much further sure. than you could if you're standing on the ground. Well, being up on top of the mountain looking down is like being on the geostationary satellite. You can cover a huge area, mm-hmm. but if you're standing on the ground, you can't see very far until you know a hill or, in their case, the curvature of the earth puts people you know uh, to where they can't see the satellite. So they have to have many, many more satellites to where there's always at least one, two, or three. I'm not sure the exact number they need, but to where there's a number of satellites always above you at the same time. Okay, that makes so that's a lot why of they sense. have to launch so many. And and I think they're they're even suggesting about putting in more satellites in an even lower orbit, like maybe 350 kilometers, and they're going to need something like 10,000 satellites in that orbit. Oh dear. <laughs> so at what point do we? Are we able to start seeing them uh, or noticing them much more clearly? Because I think sometimes you can see essentially a a reflection or something off of satellites now, even ones that are way up high. 
Yeah, you can. Um, yeah, I mean, you just go out on pretty much any night right after it gets starts to get dark, and you can see these little dots going across the earth, uh, across the sky. And those are satellites, and if you have an app that shows you, for instance, the, the app that I use is called Heavens Above. Okay. And you can you can go on there, and it'll show you all the satellites that are currently above you. And now almost every satellite is a Starlink satellite. <laughs> oh, yeah. And astronomers don't like this because they're trying to take pictures of stars and planets and things. And you have all these satellites that are going across their image. So they don't just snap a picture really quick. A lot of times they do a longer exposure mm-hmm. so they can get more light in and they can they can see more detail. And now they have these satellites that are zipping across their field of view that's messing up their pictures. So astronomers are not happy about Starlink. Yeah, I could imagine. But there but there are lots of people that are happy about Starlink. <laughs> There's a friend of mine that lives in West Virginia and yeah, he actually works for Christian Light some and he is quite happy that Starlink is coming because um that will allow him to actually have good quality internet that's cheaper and faster than what he currently has. So mm-hmm. It makes it easier to, yeah, I mean, you, you you can work from places you couldn't before. I mean, it used to be you had to be on premises, and now with internet, you can you can work remotely. You know, we have quite a number of people that I work with at Christian Light work remotely because they have internet access. Do you have any idea when Starlink is going to be available to just like common people? Because when they rolled it out, it was kind of like in a beta program sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then now it's available to some people, but still not just to everybody. I'm not totally sure. I haven't been following it that closely because, I mean, frankly, I don't need Starlink. <laughs> right. So I don't really follow it that closely. I just find it interesting there. They keep launching satellites at a pretty rapid rate lately. But I do think it is starting to roll out to people. I'm guessing maybe even this year it'll become more widely available. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still trying to work out some of the kinks. Like if you have trees, if you have trees in between your your satellite dish and the satellite, it can sometimes really cause problems, things like that. So yeah, they're trying to figure out some of those, and I think they maybe just need to get some more satellites up to take care of some of those issues, but. Yeah, about six months ago or more, I had read that Starlink was available uh, to South America, uh, to Peru. Mm-hmm. And I think the to start up with them, it was something like 500 or or $1,000. Mm-hmm. And so it's still not, uh, at least for this region, that's not feasible for anyone uh, yeah. who is just a common mm-hmm. a common Joe or a common Jose. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, I mean, it's not even... I mean, that's not even a small change for around here, here in the States. I mean, we pay around $50 a month for our internet and you'd have to pay $500 for the equipment. So the, the satellite dish and everything. And then it's, I think a hundred dollars a month after that for the service. But from what I hear, it is much, much faster than almost every other satellite internet options. And of course the latency is much better. And so if, if that is really important to you and you, you know, it, it's, it can just be part of your business expenses. Basically, I'm guessing, you know, for those people that are, that are self-employed or, or that work remotely, they can, 
quite likely even take the their internet expenses off their income taxes on their 1099 or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah I would think so. The, the one thing that really interests me about Starlink, I mean, of course, Elon Musk has his own motivations. Um, I think part of it is he wants to use the money from Starlink to help fund other parts of SpaceX that aren't going to make money possibly ever. For instance, his ambitions to, to send people to Mars. Uh, that's going to take billions of dollars, and so you have to have a lot of money coming in to fund that. And Starlink is going to be, you know, once Starlink is operational and they've got all the bugs worked out, I mean, they'll just about be printing money, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's going to be a lot of people, I think, they are going to want it. Of course, he also talks about providing Internet to people that have been underserved. So there's huge swaths of the world that simply don't have any access to to anything with the Internet. Um and so whether you're in sub-Saharan Africa or far northern reaches of Canada or in Peru, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you'll be able to have, I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, you could be on top of Mount Everest and could be getting really good internet speeds up there. Although if you're on top of Mount Everest, you're probably worried about other things than getting good <laughs> internet speeds. Like maybe having oxygen. <laughs> Yeah, or uh, not having your nose and your ears and your toes and your fingers uh, <laughs> falling off due to frostbite. Exactly. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, the optimist in me is is kind of excited about this sort of thing. Um, it, it, yeah, it's going to allow people to, to work, work from uh, locations they couldn't before. But yeah, there's also some downsides. I mean, I think there's value in, in getting together with with your coworkers and seeing them face to face versus always being virtual but um yeah i mean if if there's if virtual is the only option it's better than nothing for sure uh Sean i saw just the other day i'm not on twitter but i did see that there was kind of a twitter exchange between the ukrainian minister of something he's a government minister and elon musk did you hear about that or see anything about it? I I yeah, I didn't I didn't see a news article or anything, but I did see just like a, a blurb or uh mm-hmm. <laughs> a summary. Essentially the president was like, "Can you help us?" and <laughs> and he was like, "Sure." <laughs> it was like a fairly short exchange. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the one guy yeah, it wasn't the president, it was um some minister of communications or something. Um, I guess because of oh okay yeah, yeah 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 as of the recording of this episode, which is March twelfth, twenty twenty two, it's been about a little over two weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine, and during some of that, some did of, they really? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and okay, all right, it, go ahead. At least that's what the mainstream media is telling me. Right. <laughs> And I think that some of their internet connections were cut, so they're having some issues getting information, communicating, and so forth. And this guy got on Twitter and asked Elon Musk, hey, can you send a Starlink? And from what I understand, Starlink, you could have used Starlink there, but they hadn't approved it yet or something like that. Uh-huh. And then there was a picture of uh, by that same minister a number of days later showing the back of this truck or something opened up when a whole bunch of Starlink terminals their uh, their Starlink uh, satellite dishes in the back of the truck. So uh, okay, yeah. So it's it's being used. Starlink is being used for war now. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. 
at that um at that uh what would you say um altitude would they be easy to to shoot down like if you were an enemy country and wanted to take out mm-hmm. the Starlink satellites it that's feasible isn't it yeah it is i mean that's exactly what russia was trying to do with their with their anti satellite test i mean they i think they shot down a satellite that was maybe uh it was actually a, a decent amount higher i think than the starlink satellites orbit okay so they could definitely do it uh, of course the starlink satellites are smaller than a lot of other satellites so it could be it may be a little bit more difficult to hit them i don't know mm-hmm. but the the thing with when you have uh, let's say you're using HughesNet, you know, like Ukraine is using this HughesNet satellite out in geostationary orbit to get all their internet for their military. Well, Russia, all they would have to do is, I mean, it's it's a long ways out there, but they could theoretically shoot a, shoot a missile up there and take it out, and they wiped out all of Ukraine's internet. Right. But with Starlink, since there are approximately 2,000 satellites um, you could, pro- I mean, you could take out a couple and there might be some times of the day where the internet was not very good or non-existent, sure. but the rest of the time it would be fine. Uh-huh. So safety in numbers. Yeah. The United States government has actually been wanting to do more of that. Instead of putting all their eggs in one satellite, they're launching a lot more of these smaller satellites so that if, if there ever is a conflict with a nation like Russia or like China, who has the capability to take out satellites, it would basically be impossible to take out every single U.S. satellite mm-hmm. um, and, you know, blind blind the U.S. to what's going on on the ground. So, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, war is not just, war is not just between soldiers with guns and tanks and planes. It's now in space and even on, you know, like on the internet you have, you have hackers working for these different governments that are trying to disable, um, whether it could be like electrical generation stations or just take down the whole internet or communication structure mm-hmm. of a country. So that way, it's much easier to. I mean, if your if your enemy is is ba- is basically unable to communicate with each other, then it's much easier to defeat them. So it's um it's a little scary sometimes to think about. <laughs> sure. And I think we've uh, been reading some of what countries are countries are taking steps against Russia because they disapprove of mm-hmm. their steps against Ukraine, and so uh, people like social media companies are pulling out of or or making their products unavailable in those countries, and yeah, mm-hmm. it is making it really difficult. But last I heard. Uh, WhatsApp is still available in both Russia and Ukraine, and that has been uh, uh, made things a little easier for even some of our own uh, friends and and brothers and sisters because people in the states use WhatsApp and people over there use WhatsApp, and so you have uh, missionaries that are living over there that can easily communicate back home about mm-hmm. how things are going, and so. Um, you have those just everyday interactions too, not not only on a 
uh, a governmental or official scale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, While you were talking earlier, I did look up on, uh, on Starlink's website and they say, they say that it is available here in Peru and they, they have a, a website on the Starlink website that links to their Peru page and it has all the steps where you can go down through and tells you what you you get. And so um, if I would fill out this this sheet here, I think I could get connected to Starlink. And so uh, maybe that's something I should do so I have hmm. better <laughs> better um, connection for the podcast. What the listeners are not going to hear is how many times did we lose the call? Um, <laughs> A handful, I think anyhow. Or, at least three or four times. <laughs> Yeah. So James has to be very patient with me when we're trying to get a recording. Um, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. It just all depends on the day. <laughs> Internet and space. That's the future. 